Ranch. This is Ranch Clay, and this is the Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Usually, I would have Norman G on, but uh, Norman is just got back from Paris, and I think he's gone through a little bit of jet lag. But I have a wonderful guest, Isaiah Duforth. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Isaiah Duforth. All right, and uh, it's been a while. It's been a couple of years since I've seen you. How are you? I'm doing all right. All right. You are a um, you're a teacher of I think you're a film teacher, right? Uh, well, okay. So I run San Francisco Art and Film for Teenagers. Okay. Uh, which is an art education nonprofit here in uh, the Bay Area. Cool. And uh, it is in our 25th year uh, as of this year. Wow, quarter century. Yeah, founded by um, a local artist named Ronald Chase. Okay. And I was a student in the program, actually, uh, when I first got involved in theater. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, it was 20 years ago. 20 yeah. years ago, I was in high school, and I discovered uh, this arts program that mm-hmm. uh, basically got free tickets to the, the symphony and the opera and uh, local theater companies mm-hmm. and dance and film. And I thought, oh, this is a you know fantastic opportunity. So I... Uh, started participating in that program, mm-hmm. and uh, Ronald pretty much immediately seized upon me to start doing AV work for him because yeah. um, I had a bit of um, stage crew background at that point, and uh, so I have actually been working for this program <laughs> for about 20 years now. Wow, that's fantastic, both as a student and as a uh, as an employee. But also, I know you because uh, you're also an ex-Eastender-er. Uh, you were a writer and, I believe, a director. Yeah, um, I wrote uh, for um, several of their kind of uh, collections of short plays that they'd put together mm-hmm. around a, a, a central topic. And um, let's see, I didn't ever direct for uh, EastEnders. I did a lot of lighting design. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we were t- love talking about either Wonder of the World or Sick, but uh, you may have done a little bit of lighting design. I think you may have came on because I know that EastEnders did things like um, 8 by 10 yeah. uh, by Tennessee Williams. Well, actually, I think there were 10 plays, one-act plays, mm-hmm. derived around the subject matter of Tennessee Williams, the famous playwright. So you, do you think you may have been involved in that? I think that was actually the year before I started. Okay. I think... If I recall, that was the, the year before I started, but then there were several others after yeah. that. For example, um, uh, let's see, with Pinter's The Lovers. Okay. Uh, there was also, because um, that was a one-act play, and then they would follow that mm-hmm. with uh, about six, maybe ten-minute plays. Ah, okay, yeah. And so I definitely wrote for that and for um, a yeah. few others. I think their um, uh, European one-act, oh, no, I know what it was. It was uh, Dario Foe. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, had, we had Susan Evans on, and I think the way that Easton has worked, there was Susan Evans and also Chuck Pauley, and yeah. I think Susan had more so worked with um, having Easton just do established plays, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and Chuck had uh, worked with new playwrights, and Chuck was a playwright, his own self. Yeah, absolutely. The late, the late Chuck Pauley, yeah. Yeah, I was in his workshop. Right. And that's where a lot of the uh, material for those um, performances would come from. We'd, mm-hmm. we'd choose a uh, one-act play, yeah. study it, mm-hmm. and then respond to it with short works that would feature after that one act. Yeah, that's that's actually fantastic. And I, I've been involved with Chuck's uh, playwriting uh, uh, course. Well, I wouldn't say course, but uh, pr- uh, production as, as well. I think the last thing that we did before he passed away was Pride Open. 
Yes. And yes, and I was involved in that as well. You were? Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to remember because I uh, – did you do lighting or um, – I, I consulted on the lighting, but I also wrote for that. Okay. Yeah. That's right because there were several one acts. Okay, right, right. Um, it's, it's fantastic. I want to talk to you a little bit about how uh, – because we've had a lot of folks who – have been writers and directors, and they're folks who dabble in theater, and they take their theater knowledge, and they apply it to film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whether it be a film actor or a film writer, and I think uh, you can talk a lot about that. Well, uh, so um, so I did, I started out writing mostly for theater. Mm-hmm. That was what really interested me, Yeah. Um, and I went to um, school, I went to NYU and studied uh, mm-hmm. playwriting there yeah. as well. And that's my alma mater. Oh, there we yeah, go. There we go. Um, and so that's what I was interested in. That's what I was working on. And then when I came back to San Francisco and um, I was uh, promoted to uh, assistant director of this, this arts program, mm-hmm. and one of the things we do, the actually pretty much the only thing we really teach, most of our program is about you know, exposing mm-hmm. Bay Area students to the arts. Yeah. Uh, so we don't do a lot of teaching per se, okay. but we do teach filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And so I became their screenplay writing mentor. Okay. And I was really working off of my understanding of dramatic writing from mm-hmm. theater and sort of teaching myself uh, the differences between theater writing and film writing. And so my focus has shifted mm. toward that. Towards film writing. Towards film writing, yeah. Yeah. Let's get into a, a back uh, an origin story. Um, how did you get involved in theater or the arts in general? Did you grow up here? I grew up here in San Francisco, in okay. the Castro. All right. And I, uh, let's see, I really started working in theater um, because I went to Lowell High School. Okay. Where, in I think my very first week, I met Jen Daly, oh, who wow. I believe has been on your show. Yeah, that's right. And she was already involved in EastEnders. She was a senior when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see, it was one of Chuck's plays, actually. I think it was the second part of his uh, trilogy. Yeah, Twyla. Yes, yeah, the, the Twyla yeah, story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was working with the, the stage crew at Lowell High School, mm-hmm. and Jen said, uh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm working with this awesome local theater company, mm-hmm. and uh, we need a sound guy we need someone to operate the board Mm -hmm. during the theater um and so uh i you know i was excited i i came along Mm -hmm. i was at the magic theater which was really cool yeah because that's a very you know storied place for bay area theater Mm -hmm. yep and um and, and that's where I learned that I really did not like working on sound. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I believe it was the the, um, the very first uh, mm-hmm. performance with, um, you know, uh, uh, reviewers in the seats. Oh, and yeah. And I was cued to um, set off a, a big thunderclap. Mm-hmm. And I had the wrong sound queued up. And, the, of course, the volume yeah. turned all the way up. Sure. Um, and the, the actors managed to cover it. I think it was something very strange like banjos and, and dogs oh, barking. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, and I was just absolutely destroyed. <laughs> I, I've been there I've been there before, um, all through. As a matter of fact, uh, we talked about NYU. While I was going to school, I did a lot of um, tech, mm-hmm. whether stage managing or lights or sound, for off-Broadway off um, shows, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. little shows. And um, things like that happened. I remember uh, my first time coming to the Bay, um, I was with a group called Bay Stage, and around 2001, I believe, we did um, Water Buffalo. And 
It was at the old Phoenix Theater, which was on uh, Geary Street at the time. Yeah. And their lighting booth, light and sound booth, were like right in front of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but the plug, the cord would go right between your legs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to make a long story short, I, I kicked out the uh, the plug, and half of the lights went out because <laughs> I guess the board had just was all wired up and uh it took us a while and of course we had to pause it and those are embarrassing moments but you know you can laugh about it now. Uh, yeah absolutely yeah. i mean it's just spectacular and you know i mean sometimes it works out that you know it's, mm-hmm. it's something really special <laughs> for the audience sure <laughs> yeah something something <laughs> different something, something unexpected yeah <laughs> right exactly but prior to that prior to lowell high school i mean when you were a kid i mean did you were you involved in theater did, were you on the stage at all no not really i mean i i uh shudder to ever you know go on stage certainly mm-hmm. um i remember one very early experience when i had a, a bunch of uh, operations on my eardrums as a child mm. um and uh so one was happening right when the school was preparing a show yeah and uh so i show up having having missed um you know kind of a, a week of rehearsals mm-hmm. but they wanted to include me so they they put me in a costume mm-hmm. And they said, you know, ju- you know, don't worry about lines. Just just stand there. <laughs> okay. And um, my parents reported to me mm-hmm. years later that that other parents had wondered, oh, oh, who is this, you know, you know, poor child? And, and, and isn't it nice that the school has included this obviously damaged child who, who isn't really, you know, mm. uh, perhaps not capable of learning lines, but oh, they've Lord. made a role for him anyways. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it <laughs> A little crazy, interesting interpretation. It, it, yeah. Well, you know, it, uh, I mean, was I'm it, sure. Was it fun for you? I had, a, you know, I had a big bandage wrapped around my head, and Ooh, I'm just, you know, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Um, did, did you have any siblings? I do. I have a sister who uh, lives in New York at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Is she involved in arts at all? Uh, she is. She she works for a um, design company mm-hmm. in in New York, and also, um, yeah. I mean, she's always my my parents are both artists. My mother professionally is a painter, and oh, wow. my my father. Um, has been a photographer, and uh, yeah, the whole family has been involved in the arts in one way or another. Oh, cool! So they basically um, they support you. You know, we've had a lot of guests, and sometimes their pa- our parents are like, hmm, "That you, are you getting paid, or you know, are you getting anything out of it?" But well, I will say, I mean, my mother, who you know, mm-hmm. spent you know, most of her adult life, uh, she's been a, a working artist. Yeah, and she told me to be an engineer. She said, don't, okay. <laughs> don't, whatever you do, for God's sakes, don't go into the arts. Yeah. Well, she's got to be proud of what you're doing right now. Oh, sure. Cool. So let's talk about the, the um, what is the main difference between writing for the stage and writing for film? Now, obviously, with film, everything is within the camera. And so, you know, you can write scenes where there's no dialogue, where uh, everything is basically visual. And I'm not sure if you can get away with a lot of that. On stage. Well, I mean, you you can a bit. For instance, um, we just took our students uh, earlier this year to Small Mouth Sounds at ACT, which is um, set at a silent retreat, mm-hmm. and uh, characters do talk once in a while, but the vast majority of the the show is is done silently, uh, and they pull it off. I mean, it's not perhaps um, the, the the deepest uh, work I've ever seen on stage, but it you know it, it was. Very entertaining. Okay. Um, but it's true. I mean, with film, it's just you're capable of showing so much. And so you really have to learn to think visually in a way that, I guess, uh, you have to think visually on, on the stage. But uh, 
film is so much more precise that way. Sure. Um, and also, I don't know, uh, uh, when I was writing for theater, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was always very conscious of, okay, there's going to be a director who's going to come and, and look at this and interpret it and mm-hmm. make it work within the confines of what they have available to them in their theater with the actors they have, with the budget they have. Yeah. That, you know, it's this very much kind of uh, collaborative process that I, I wanted to you know, a- allow for that. I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I wasn't uh, one of those people who wanted to make things so specific. It was super clear that it was, you know, this was the way it had to be interpreted. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, Whereas with theater, I mean, sorry. Whereas with film, you can really be very specific. This is because you you, you may already know which yeah. location you're going to be working with, who are the actors you're going to yeah. be working with, etc. It sounds like as a writer for film, you have a lot more control with uh, what happens. I, I think in a lot of cases, yeah. especially I mean, you know, presumably you're you're doing this once, mm-hmm. you know, right? This isn't right. It's not a run. Yeah, it's it, it's not. And also, I mean, you know, um, stuff I would write would be done by different. Uh, theater companies, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who had no contact with each other. And, w- and that would be really interesting to see, you know, a, an entirely different play in sure. some ways emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, yeah, when, when I'm writing for film, um, when I'm working with uh, students, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you know, I'm talking with the director. I'm talking with uh, potentially the actors, with the camera person. And so, yeah, yeah y- y- you're going for specificity. Do you find that um, your writing is limited to, uh, you know, I've worked in a couple of film projects. I know San Francisco State, we had, um, I don't know if you know who Ruben uh, Grijalva is, but he writes for uh, Playground. Mm-hmm. But he was a film student for San Francisco State, and he submitted a, um, there was a piece called um, oh, um, Shadow Ball. That's mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was about a Negro League baseball player. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I noticed that, I think a lot of uh, film writers are conditioned or they're limited to, let's say, the, the instrument. The instrument means um, has a lot. The camera instrument, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like the lens and um, how it captures the elements like, you know, um, the, the sun and, and what have you. Do you find that you're limited to, uh, let's say, there's a film that you have in your head, but you're limited to the camera that you have or the other equipment? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I certainly – I would say I – t- here's the thing. I tend to stay away from the production side okay. a bit. So I'm working with the director, mm-hmm. but once we've you know, completed the script, whatever happens after that, I usually s- sort of stay away. I let sure. leave them to figure that out. So I'm not usually thinking that way so much. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, you know, I say, okay, this is the story yeah. that we're trying to tell here. Got it. And you know, here are the images that we want to get. Sure. Um, but you'll let them figure out, the cinematographer or whoever is I, I mean, Well, yeah. yeah, I trust their instincts usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or, and also, you know, um, a lot of this is done with students. Sure. And they are, you know, learning and discovering. So, uh, you know, uh, problems do come up all the time. Sure. And they have to deal with them in the moment. Yeah. That, you know, because this, you know, they're at the shoot, they've got, you know, the setup, and so whatever uh, needs to happen has to happen, and they figure it out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't <coughs> usually worry too, too much about that. Okay, okay. Um, I had a class. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of writing my own self. I'm really a budding uh, sort of writer. Um, and Gary Graves, and he was on the show as well, he uh, runs Central Works, mm-hmm. but he also uh, teaches a class at the Berkeley, um, the Berkeley Rep uh, on playwriting. And we talked a lot about um, – 
dialogue oh. and like the structure of a play or a structure of a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, this even goes back to when I had studied in school. Uh, like for tragedy, you know, it must have a serious subject. Um, the person must be a um, a prestigious person, a person of character, someone who can the people can, the audience can identify with. It must be um, no coincidence. Um, what must happen should happen. Um, pity and fear, and there must be a catharsis. When you went to school, when you first started, I guess writing or did you was there a focus on the structure of writing like what how what makes a play or a story yeah there actually there was absolutely no <laughs> focus on the structure uh-huh. um with really any of um my teachers mm-hmm. that i was working with i mean it it might be talked about in a very kind of casual okay way um and we would be given examples sure but a lot of what we worked with was okay here are, you know, here, here's some plays that we're going to study yeah, and look at and take apart. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of write against that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you know, uh, the vast majority of my education came in the form of a workshop yeah. where it's like you would bring what you had okay. and you would start there. And that's when you would start there with the, um, mm-hmm. the other students' work as well. Yeah. And there was very little um, sort of, you know, more kind of, didactic this is you know these are the forms that are available and you know at times i felt like maybe i wanted yeah (laughs) some more direction um but you know just by happenstance um uh, those were the teachers that i ended up with do you did you find that you learned more from writing by just getting out into the world and just writing and let's say making mistakes and uh just from experience or do you still pull from what you learned from school you know, it's interesting. I I can barely remember most of uh, my my classes, mm-hmm. especially at, at NYU. Okay, I have very very few memories. What I remember at NYU was mm-hmm. mostly going to theater in New York. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe that's just the direction where I, where I seem to draw mostly yeah. from is from example and from experience, yeah. not so much from classroom. Okay. Um, and and I don't know. Maybe uh, so. One of the things that art and film is kind of based around mm-hmm. art and film. I mean, the the program that I run. Yeah. Um, it, it it is. It's it's extremely experiential. We're trying to kind of be a counterpoint to mm-hmm. school because okay. you know the kids are already in school. They don't need a second school sure. to go to. Yeah, that makes so sense. So we take them out. We show them. Mm-hmm. You know everything that San Francisco art scene has to offer, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk and we'll discuss. But we don't really teach in in that way and so because i came up through that program and i spent so much time in it maybe that's just kind of uh, tilted me that way now th- that makes sense and we've had a lot of guests on who have gone to school and they say well you know school is okay i think one person had made the um i think it was um dan wilson who had said you know school sort of removes bad habits from you and sort of gives you a little bit of structure but really it's up to you to sort of find your own way like my experience at NYU, and I went to Tisch School of the Arts, it was sort of a smorgasbord. You know, if you wanted to take experimental theater, then there was a ETW that you yeah, could yeah, take. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to do method acting, then you can go to Circle in the Square. If you wanted mm. to do Stella Adler or right, Strasbourg, right. but you know, you can it's a small you can take whatever you want, what makes sense to you. Mm. Uh, not so much, you know, what you would call didactic. Like hey, this is the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when a kid goes to, I guess, your workshop or whatever, like, what's the experiment? Do are they um, 
Are there textbooks or whatever, or what's the structure? Mm, well, the closest we get to a textbook, um, so uh, Ronald, the, the founding director mm -hmm. of the program, let's see, I want to say about 10 years ago or so, you know, he found, okay, I'm giving the same um, kind of lessons over and over again, so I'm going to create um, basically eight hours of mm -hmm. recorded lessons so he would pull scenes from movies that were you know, the examples of what he oh, was nice. trying to get across and yeah. then he would just record his voice over them yeah so we have those mm -hmm. saved for you know yeah uh forever basically because you know he's he's 83 we we want those <laughs> records right sure um, sure and so we, you know, we're talking lessons like uh how to use point of view yeah how to use movement yeah. how to use music yeah um things like that um but again, those are you know very much drawn from um, examples of filmmakers mm -hmm. who have mastered these techniques. Yeah, and you know here are different you know options available to you. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the closest we get to a textbook. Then, um, so the the fall program this this uh, film workshop runs Sundays from mm -hmm. October through June. Okay. Basically, yeah. June is when we have our student film festival. Mm -hmm. And so um, so we start out in the fall with those. Yeah. And then we also show um, just classic uh, films. Um, okay. You know, for example, uh, let's see, we were just showing um, a bunch of uh, Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick, I was thinking about Kubrick. Yeah, that, that came up this year. We also showed um, uh Kieslowski, mm -hmm. we showed um, Kurosawa mm -hmm. this year. Um, I think some Carol Reed, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Alexander Sukarov we were showing. And so, you know, uh, various directors, and, and so students could see a couple of films from each director and kind of get a sense of the techniques they use, the style that they developed, yeah. and start to pull out, okay, what, what of this is interesting to me and how might I adapt mm -hmm. it for my own purposes? Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. um, and then from there, uh, the, and these are long days. These, so we started like 11 o'clock in the morning and go mm -hmm. till 630. Oh, wow. Yeah. These are, these are long days for these kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll do that in the morning and then in the afternoon, they'll bring in their, uh, sort of treatment, their film, mm -hmm. you know, ideas. Yeah. And we'll workshop them as a group <coughs> and kind of develop them step-by-step uh, step into scripts, yeah, and then we produce those films. Yeah, it's funny. You had mentioned uh, Stanley Kubrick. There's a, um, there's a bunch of stuff on YouTube, but there's mm -hmm. one guy who um, he sort of breaks down um, a lot of Kubrick stuff, especially the subliminal stuff, like mm -hmm. if you look at The Shining and, you know, the allusion to um, what Red Room is and, and, and that sort of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, go ahead. No, sorry. I no, no, no. I, so, no, no, it's fascinating, but I'm thinking as, as a student, that would be really fun. So, I imagine the students spend a lot of their time, you know, watching, I guess, uh, these movies and hearing the lectures, but then they spend their time actually going out and creating. Yeah. I mean, so, in the in the workshop itself, we do a lot of work on the scripts. Mm -hmm. Most of the shots happen um, after, uh, either on, on Saturdays or mm -hmm. after school. They don't happen during sure. the, the class time when we're all together, yeah. they'll pull together a, a crew mm -hmm. from um, our mentors and, and from the other students, okay. and they'll go out and shoot. Yeah. It, now, does, does your program have the budget? Because I imagine it, it, it's really expensive it to is do. It yeah. is minuscule, our budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I imagine if anyone wants to contribute, is there like a, a contributing page if our, you want to contribute? Our website is artandfilm.org. Okay. Okay. Spelled and out, we'll and all the information is there. Okay. Um, and, it's, and, and so 
that program, that, that filmmaking workshop, mm -hmm. is our only um, uh, class that you have to pay for. Everything else, mm -hmm. all the uh, film screenings we do through the year, the um, uh, symphony hall, the mm -hmm. uh, opera, the theater, all of that is provided free to Bay Area students. Oh, nice. mm -hmm. uh, our target is mostly kind of 13 through 18, but mm -hmm. it's open to um, college undergrad students. Mm -hmm. It's open to middle school students if they're interested. You know, mm -hmm. if you have an 11-year-old who wants to go to the symphony, <coughs> mm -hmm. uh, we will take them, absolutely. That's fantastic. I mean, if I were... If I were a young kid and if I had a young kid, that this would be the uh, the program that I would love to do. Yeah. And we'll have a link. Yeah. So if anyone wants to learn more information, if we want to contribute, that sort of stuff. What type of um, – what are the filmmakers or what what are the, the – I guess the mentors, the people that you sort of want to emulate? Hmm. Gosh, uh, myself, I don't, I don't really think about it too much in terms of what – I'm trying to emulate. I'm always interested in finding out what are the students interested, who are mm -hmm. they uh, most attracted to in terms of mm -hmm. uh, film directors. Yeah. Because that kind of helps us guide, okay, so, you know, if this is what you're interested, here are some other directors that you might be looking at. Mm -hmm. You know, if, um, for instance, uh, let's say, you know, Wong Kar Wai, for example, mm -hmm. okay, so if, if you're trying to study him, well, you know, you might really need to get a grip on um, these kind of very long, slow dolly shots sure. that appear in his film, and then you know, figure out how you would incorporate that into your films. What mm -hmm. you know, what do those shots do for you? Yeah, um, something like that. Myself, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my favorite directors are very, very strange. Um, one, for example, which I have loved since um, I was first traumatized by seeing one of his films when I was thirteen, mm -hmm. as uh, Peter Greenaway. Okay, and uh, his films. He uh, originally studied as a, a a painter mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the, you know, very classic work uh, and moved into film from there. And so it's a very strange kind of uh, mm -hmm. very much concerned with the visual image uh, that, that you're seeing these kind of beautiful tableaus he puts together. Okay. Um, and, and, and also just uh, extremely kind of bizarre takes on, on human psyche. Um, and so as a, as a, 13-year-old, I was taken to see The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Oh, I, I, I saw that. As a matter of fact, I almost threw up in my yeah. popcorn and watching yeah. it. Yeah, so I was 13 <laughs> yeah. when my, my grandmother... With Helen Mirren. Yes, with Helen Mirren. Uh, my grandmother took me to see it wow. at the Castro Theater. That was, must have been bizarre. Massive screen, yeah. and um, I, I'll never forget it. About half an hour into the movie, <laughs> she leaned over and whispered in my ear, I don't remember most of this. <laughs> I don't think she quite she quite intended me to have yeah. that experience. There, there are still scenes that I can remember from there, like uh, them making love in a meat locker. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and um, at one point, someone gets murdered by a book by being force fed. That's right. A book page by page. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is a and the a final scene of uh, oh them goodness. having to eat the, uh, the corpse <laughs> and throwing up in there. I was like, oh my uh, god, Michael Gambon. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so that was yeah, uh, me at thirteen, and um, it, it left a mark. But uh, I mean, mm -hmm. he has a lot of other films that um, kind of you could go into some of the same material, but not perhaps quite so viscerally. Sure. As that film and. Um, that's more of an Italian style. I mean, I don't know why I have that in my image, uh, in my head. Uh, well, I think there's something kind of very Renaissance, uh, very, yeah. very uh, kind of Baroque sure. in some ways about mm -hmm. uh, that his style of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, th I think that's an appropriate comparison. Now, when you um, 
What are some of the pieces that you wrote? I know you wrote some one acts for EastEnders. Um, did you ever write outside of EastEnders for the, for the stage? Yeah, I did. I wrote um, mostly one acts. Um, the one that did the the best, I would say, was called The Pheasant. Okay. Um, and, God, actually, it, I mean, we just finished talking about The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. <laughs> it's, it, it actually uh-huh. is. It's about a, um, a chef. Uh-huh. Um, who, uh, for various reasons, he's being shut down by the government. He, a celebrity chef, a famous mm-hmm. uh, chef. Mm-hmm. And um, he's decided his, his final act, he's going to cook himself and be, have it served at his restaurant on the on the evening that it's supposed to close. Mm. Um, and it, it takes place in the kitchen, and the, the um, it's yeah. kind of going back and forth between him and his sous chef, who's you know, mm-hmm. she, she's you know, devoted to him and you know, can't stand to see this happen, and she mm. doesn't want to do it. And... Um, very strange play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's decided he's going to cook himself in a cast iron bathtub, so that's mm. on the stage. Um, it's kind of this big, you know, piece right in the middle of the stage wow. that that yeah. know, represents everything that's about to happen. <coughs> mm-hmm. um, and so that was uh, done here uh, at the Eureka Theater, actually. Interesting. What what company? Um, it was. I want to say it was uh, Three Wise Monkeys. Okay. Yeah. I'd I've heard that company, but I think that I don't know if yeah, they're around anymore. Yeah, I don't believe they're around anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then it was also done in uh, Chicago and in Virginia. Right actually. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was and it was fascinating to see because it, it really it changed dramatically depending on mm-hmm. the cast. Yeah. Um, and I remember here the uh, in San Francisco, the the chef was this you know really fantastic actor. I forget his name. I believe it was Skip. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he really just dominated. I mean, he really had that kind of celebrity chef kind mm-hmm. of bravado. And sure, really. sure. And then um, in Chicago, no, sorry, in in Virginia, um, the chef character. I mean, you know, he was still you know quite commanding, but yeah. but the wife uh, was super imposing. And whenever she stepped onto the stage, she just kind of took over hmm. and it really shifted this sort of, um, yeah. power dynamic. I mean, the, the wife always does have yeah. power in the play, but, but yeah. here she really wielded it and it was you know, fantastic to watch. Yeah. Uh, we had Jeannie Baroga on, she's a Philippine writer and, uh, she talked about how she had one play produced here in the Bay area and also in, I think it was in Boston. Mm-hmm. And she was, um, almost mortified that they had, Totally restructured the play. Um, mm-hmm. She she was not happy with the results. How how married are you to I guess your piece once it's out of your hands? Um, I'm not. Okay. I mean, I you know I I think if I felt like something had what was saying something incredibly different from sure. what I was trying to get across, if it was if it was giving the opposite uh, ideas, yeah. um, somehow, you know, that I might have an issue with. But really. Um, I just find it fascinating and and kind of you know wonderful to see mm-hmm. um, uh, you know a different artist pull out yeah. other ideas or you know, pull out other uh, possibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm I'm all good with it. Um, let's. See, there was one time uh, I was I I wrote one. It was a ten minute play, mm-hmm. and it was actually based on a, a real life incident, uh, a school shooting that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's revealed um, at the end that actually the the gun had been plastic the entire time, hmm. and that the the intention had been for the um, the 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 kid wanted to be shot by the police. Basically, oh, it was, I it was see. a suicide by cop sure, sure. scenario. Sure, sure. Um, 
and uh, and and then it was it was done in Boston, mm-hmm. and I saw it, um, and it, it was I mean I it was very it was it was strange it was kind of foreign it's like I didn't quite recognize it, mm. um, and and I you know and I didn't you know do anything about it I was you know look this is this is where they've taken it, um, but uh, yeah it was just it was just a strange it was it was an alien feeling I guess yeah. Um, which I hadn't had before with anything. But there's no feeling of pain, like oh my goodness, you know what? Have, what have they done to my thing? But you know, it's no. just out of your hands. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I just, I don't know why. I just gave all that up uh, pretty, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, same with, um, maybe it's because by that point I was already doing like some short film writing. Okay. Yeah. And uh, seeing. You know, I, I would hand it over to the directors, and then you, they would shoot one thing, and sure. it would be you know changed by limitations that they mm-hmm. find on the day of the shoot. Right. And then it would be edited, and stuff would be, you know, cut or you mm-hmm. know what have you. Yeah. And you end up with a totally different product, and I think I just got used to it very, very easily. Okay. Do you still produce now, or are you just committed to teaching? I mean, do you want to produce? I should ask that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a really strong story that I feel like I need to need to tell mm-hmm. I think you know if, if something like that was if I had that feeling inside that would be driving me to really write something right now um, I'm quite happy kind of working on these short films mm-hmm. with students yeah um, also I, I do teach a bit at the School of the Arts High School oh, nice. in the Korea Ryan Department I yeah. was their playwright in residence for many years yeah. and I still do their playwriting shows I direct them there. Oh, nice. and so yeah I mean I get I get like any kind of uh, strong desire mm-hmm. to to work in this arena I kind of am working that out just mm-hmm. by you know assisting these students yeah uh and yeah, I'm, I don't have a strong story that that really I need to tell right now because most of my work. I only became director of this program in August, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know this is my work right now is you know making sure that this program stays around for the uh, youth of the Bay Area. Yeah, I hear you. And so that you know that's what's important right now. Sure, I um I had two sort of lines of questioning, but mm-hmm. it's fascinating that you're teaching kids. You know, there's been, kids have been in the news a lot. Uh, I guess the past month, especially the kids who have um, are protesting protesting against gun violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's actually a wonderful movement. Well, it's, it's wonderful and sad. It's sad that it's sad that it's, it's needed. It's, it's needed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it takes unfortunately violence. I always say that uh, we think that we're motivated. We think that we're motivated by love. Unfortunately, sometimes we're motivated by hate. Mm or by a bad thing happening because mm-hmm. it motivates us to do something to change it, mm-hmm. to make it, you know, change. Yeah. But the wonderful thing is we have kids who are motivated and they're doing their civic duty by protesting and hopefully, you know, uh, cha- hoping getting Congress to to make a change in, um, the, in the gun laws. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing to see. I I don't know. It, it For me, at a certain point, it started to feel like um, – Kind of all the power had been drained out of protest for a mm-hmm. while. There was that I had just seen so so many protests and seen so few results. Sure. And um, to see this and to see so many students really uh, coming together, mm-hmm. focusing, yeah, and uh, demanding to be listened to is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it really, really kind of restores a lot of. <laughs> Sort of faith in the ability sure. of people to, you know, um, actually, you know, combat 
things that are going on in the world, you know, at the hands of, yeah. you know, um, the people that, you know, wield power that, you know, all this money and um, control of uh, governments and control of businesses. And you think it's, it, you know, it's almost insurmountable, but uh, we've been shown it, it it absolutely isn't. Yeah. But we also, we've also seen the flip side of it. I was reading an article this week. So there was a shooter. Uh, I think his name was Elliot Roger. He um, <laughs> he uh, did a shooting of a bunch of girls. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, there's a online forum where yeah. there are people who worship him. They call yeah. them in incel. incel. Yeah. Uh, in involuntary celibates, yeah. and uh, these are young men who I guess are frustrated because they're not getting women or girls or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, it's the same frustration that you and I had to deal with when we were in high school. But they've taken it to an nth degree. I, well, and I think the, the real trouble with that group, more than uh, many others, because, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are plenty of hate groups online. Yeah. But it's that I think that community not only teaches you to hate women and to teach you hate the society that mm-hmm. supports women, yeah. but also teaches you to hate yourself and yeah. to, not, you know, to, to not care about your own destruction either, right. which makes it that much more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I asked you that, because you're dealing with young kids, you're dealing with young boys who, I guess, have, mm-hmm. you know, these things. As a teacher, I mean, of course, you want to focus on film. You want to get them, you know, our, their minds focused on, you know, the uh, the project at hand. Do you sometimes also have to deal with psychology, like uh, trying to reach them to, I guess, fulfill them or to deal with, I don't know, are, do, you, do, you, do you ever deal with trouble? I mean, uh I haven't seen trouble in, in, in quite that way. I mean, yeah. we we certainly have students who struggle perhaps with, um, you know, depression, anxiety. I mean, the same kind of things most teenagers yeah. do, some more I mean, than others. I mean, a lot others, of kids bring their, their troubles from home. To sure. School. But, yeah. but I mean, the thing, the thing is, is that one of the th- reasons that we believe so strongly about art education and getting kids involved yep. in the arts is that Art has this ability to heal so much, mm-hmm. to help you work out what's going on in your head, whether it is putting it on the page and then turning that into a play or mm-hmm. into a film mm-hmm. or you know, painting, what have you, or going to a film, going to the theater and seeing other people dealing with those issues. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even, <coughs> even if you don't have, um, you know, really strong psychological issues, I mean, just being a teenager and having to figure out what you want to do with your life, where your place in the world is, who the people that you want to be with, whether, you know, you know, if you are having trouble with your family, you know, and you go and see a film about someone who has a really, Mm -hmm. you know, terrible family and watching them work through that and figuring out how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And there's so much there. Yeah. Um, And so that's one of the things we do. I mean, and we, we program for that. We look at films that deal with some of those issues. Oh, fantastic. Um, And also, I mean, uh, you know, I, like uh, one thing we found, a lot of students, you know, they would study World War II, but they wouldn't have really a strong mm-hmm. concept of just how yeah. spectacularly massive the loss of life and the destruction that was done. Right. And so, you know, there are so many films. I think next week, uh, sorry, next week, next mm-hmm. year, when we start up again in September mm-hmm. with our film program, we're showing Come and See, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the story of a teenage boy making their way through um, the uh, you know World War II and the atrocities and trying yeah. to escape them and, and, and along the way seeing what's happening. Yeah. A couple of years ago, there was a film called uh, The Boy 
on the other side of the fence. Oh, I think you mean the boy in the striped pajamas? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that is a fantastic – I mean, it just blew me away. And, of course, that tells a, an incredible story. It would, and and, and – and The Holocaust. Yeah, and, and you just – I mean, it really – art makes you confront, you know, your mm-hmm. emotions about these things and, and work through them. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, just to – just, I mean – it's it's brutal. Some of these films are absolutely brutal. In, in Come and See, you watch an entire village basically be murdered. Wow. Um, and we warn students in advance saying, look, you know, mm-hmm. this is a walk in the park. But, mm-hmm. you know, y- when you when you really feel that, mm-hmm. that makes you, you know, think for a second before you leap into something that might cause that sure. kind of damage to another to another country, another society, even if it's on the other side of the world. Yeah. And it's not necessarily going to affect you the same way. Yeah. You have you have that in your head, and maybe it, it makes you think twice. Yeah, no, it's it's important. I mean, uh, there are a lot of folks who say, well, you know, film should be entertaining, and but I, I think you know we need to. There's nothing wrong with feeling pain if if it has if it serves if a it's purpose. In, if it's in service of something, I mean, look, I'm all for you know film as entertainment. Mm-hmm. I love an entertaining film, right? And you know, the, our our feeling is, look, students are going to go see that anyways, right? right? We don't need to provide that for them. Sure. If they want to go see an entertaining film, they've got, you know, I mean, look, you can dial it up on your phone now. So that's don't that's worry exactly about right. it. So that's that's why we put together what we do. These are films that we think mm-hmm. teenagers are going to find interesting yeah. and entertaining. But yeah. it's stuff they're not going to go see on their own. Right, exactly. And speaking of, um, you know, being able to find it on your phone, I would think this is a golden age of um, not necessarily even film, but just writing for the camera, whether it, that, that it's on your phone or, you know, it'll be on Netflix or whatever. There's so many opportunities. We've had a couple of guests on, uh, Wiley Herman, Ruben, Ruben Gajalva, um, and plenty of other actors who have transitioned from acting on the stage to the film mm-hmm. and even writing uh, for the film. They, they, they get involved in the 48-hour film festival oh, sure. and a bunch of others. Um, do you think that this is a golden age? I mean, now I, there's some there's some illustrious stories that are happening, being streamed on Netflix and Hulu and Vimeo. Yeah, I, I think certainly. I mean, there are just so many options um, yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of junk out there, sure. but I think uh, you know a lot of the times stories that you wouldn't hear from otherwise do manage to rise up. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, like a, a web series called uh, Brujos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a Latin queer uh, witch story, okay. mm-hmm. which you know, I mean, like ten years ago, would that have had any possibility of being made and finding an audience? I, you know, probably not. Yeah, um, really innovative storytelling, mm-hmm. and it's out there now. Yeah. So I mean, that's fantastic, and I'm I'm really you know glad to see that and it also you know it's a fantastic opportunity for our students mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them do go out and um you know uh, they start college and the first thing they start doing is thinking okay well uh let's see maybe i could start with a web series and and really put together a, a strong series of just 10 minute mm-hmm. episodes to show what i'm trying to do yeah yeah and see where that takes me see you mm-hmm. know and, and then you, you know you can put that out there and uh, mm-hmm. make connections and you know perhaps find uh, employment that way sounds good now there's there's the artistic version of film or or even just art let's you know you can write it or you can act it or you can even film it what about the i guess the business part of it do you do you get do you focus um your students regarding that or per- perhaps mm, not no yeah we don't we don't deal with that um 
most of them, they're a bit young for sure. that. Um, and so what we teach is, I mean, you know, partly out of necessity is we, we teach, you know, this is how you make really high quality film mm -hmm. for basically next to nothing. Sure. I mean, some of our films are shot on the students' phones, mm -hmm. you know, honestly. Um, if you know good lighting technique, you can make an amazing looking film mm -hmm. with the simplest of tools. Yeah. Um, so we start there, basically. Okay. Um, and uh, once in a while, I mean, goodness, like about, I want to say... Ten years ago, mm -hmm. uh, we made a feature-length film, the mm -hmm. only feature-length film we ever made. It was a period film mm -hmm. that we filmed out at Fort Point, wow. which we rented from uh, Park and Rec. Mm -hmm. Or was – oh, gosh. No, it, w it must have been um, the National uh, Ranger – was it the National Park Service? Sure. Um, anyways um, – yeah, and so so we we did have to raise money for that, and mm -hmm. that was you know a great lesson for all of their students at the time. We had this mm -hmm. you know, fifteen year old, sixteen year old director who was you know having to raise you know, two hundred thousand dollars to mm -hmm. make a feature length period costume drama mm -hmm. on location, right? Yeah, and and so uh, you know s sometimes that comes up, but okay. uh, not too often because frankly that almost broke us. Um, and if you want to see it, it's actually streaming on on Amazon. That oh, film, awesome! Yeah, it is. Wow, it's, that is it's fantastic. Called Silent Anna, okay. directed by Max Sokoloff. Um, yeah. and it's—I mean, I, I won't say it's the you know best film you've ever seen, but mm -hmm. when you know it was directed and uh, and co-written by a 15-year-old, um, it's wow, that pretty is impressive. Amazing. Yeah, that is really really amazing. And I mention that because you've written plays that have been produced, you know, other places in in the United States. Um, how how are you able to just to go through the distribution? Oh, I mean, uh, most of the it was um, you know, finding lists of festivals. Okay. Uh, starting there, mm -hmm. looking at festivals, and then um, sending material, and you would get in contact with someone. Got it. And they would get back to you, and that's actually how we do it. I mean, um, you know, I had a little bit of success. Uh, our students actually do extraordinarily well with uh, film festivals all over the world, even mm -hmm. um, in a Asia and Europe in particular. Wow. Um, these uh, films will, you know, take off. Um, sometimes there was uh, one incident uh, a couple of years ago where a film, it was a sort of gay, lesbian-themed film, sure. and sure. it did very well at a couple of uh, festivals, including San Francisco International, mm -hmm. and then other festivals heard about it. Yeah. And I think it ended up <coughs> hitting something like 36 festivals by the time it was done. Wow. For, you know, something a teenager made in, mm -hmm. you know, you know, yeah, it was pretty much over the course of a weekend, uh, mm -hmm. the actual production. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the way to do it. Just you start with, you know, festivals where people are actually mm -hmm. asking for your yeah. submission. Oh, cool. And you work yeah. out from there. Fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of these kids, they, they know social media probably better than, you know. Oh, they absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. I was having a meeting with our, our board, and um, I said, gosh, you know, we need a, a kind of a, a young intern mm -hmm. to really assist us with our social media. And they said, oh, you know, you're young. Because most of the board is, you know, 20, 30 sure. years older than me. Sure. They say, oh, you're young. <laughs> <laughs> I am not nearly young enough <laughs> to be on top of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the real social media trends. Yeah. You know, we're, we're working trying to reach teenagers. Yeah. Forget it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how technology has, um, has evolved. I mean, you mentioned, you know, still being in school and college. Mm in 2003 mm -hmm. and you would think oh well, that's not that far but you know there wasn't even you didn't even have an iPhone <laughs> yeah no absolutely <laughs> absolutely not yeah um, although you know I mean um, I remember so what was it it was 
I think, you, uh, you know, Taylor Mac. Taylor Mac just did their 24-hour mm-hmm. um, show here in San Francisco. Sure. Yeah. And I saw uh, Taylor doing, like, cabaret mm-hmm. in New York. Um, yeah. Yeah, around the time I was graduating uh-huh. uh, from school there. And, uh, yeah, I, I immediately went home and went on YouTube. Uh-huh. And they had videos of you know their performances because I was already in love. I was like, "This is the most amazing <laughs> performer I've ever seen." So I, right. I was downloading videos that night. So you know, I mean, it was starting. Yeah, it was starting, but but nothing like you know the computer in your <coughs> pocket that can do anything twenty four hours a day. It's 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 absolutely amazing. Uh, usually, when Norman and I are here, we usually talk about current events, and he's not around. But there have been a lot of things going on, especially in Philadelphia. So in Philadelphia, you know, of course, we had the Waffle House shooting, and we had the guy who stopped. Uh, even more murder yeah. from happening. Also, Meek Mill. Um, he, you know, I was only involved. I got interested in that because Robert Kraft, who I consider very conservative, he's the owner of the, the New England Patriots. He flew to try to get Meek Mill, who was a rapper, who was a uh, he was arrested um, and convicted. This goes back, I think, about five years ago. For ch- for charges based on an arrest made by a, an officer who is found this week to be uh, dirty. Mm, he was a dirty mm. cop. So that means that all of the, you know, because he was put in jail because he had violated his probation based on the arrest. Yeah. But if the arrest is bad, then all of the probation stuff is out as well. So yeah, yeah. he was uh, put out of, um, he, you know, got issued out of jail. And, um, and of course, you know, we have Donald Trump and Stormy Dan. What do you, what do you think about what's happening in the age of Trump? I mean, does, uh, in, does all of this... Does it surprise you? Um, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, I mean, if, if I was you know, looking at it from, uh, you know, when I was in college mm-hmm. and looking, well, actually, I guess a little bit after college, I mean, especially when, you know, after Obama was elected and then reelected, it, it sure. felt like, oh, we're on this trajectory. I felt the same way, too. And um, I think there was a bit of a surprise that, oh, no, there is quite a lot of material mm-hmm. that still needs to be dealt with. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it doesn't feel like this is new stuff coming up. This is, mm-hmm. I mean, it, maybe it's, it's been emboldened. Maybe, you know, some of these things have gotten more energy mm-hmm. uh, recently. But in general, no, this is, this is stuff from our collective past that, you know, it's a reckoning. We need to address it. <coughs> it was not, you know, we were kind of pasting over it with this kind of sunny, Oh, yeah, I idealized yeah. version of, of uh, what our lives were yeah. without. Did you, have to, did you have to have to deal with racism? I mean, you're, I, th- I believe you're of a mixed race. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. I mean, not terribly strongly. I mean, I mean, you know, little things here or there that mm-hmm. people kind of make assumptions about, but, but never um, anything in a, in a way that I really felt um, sort of, you know, at risk, uh, you know, that, uh, that I was in particular danger. Sure. I don't think. Um, but yeah, but things here and there. I mean, when I was a, when I was born, yeah, I was blonde, hmm. you know, like really blonde, and I still have you know these blue eyes. Yeah. And my mother would be pushing me around in a mm-hmm. stroller, and mm-hmm. people would say, "Oh, you know, what an adorable baby! Whose baby is that?" Mm. Because it couldn't possibly have been hers. Yes. <laughs> Your mother's black. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. So you know, I mean, things that make you uncomfortable, things that y- you think. You know, this this isn't who we should be. Right? Sure. We should be better than this. Yeah. Um, but w- you know, we're not. We're we're humans, mm-hmm. and we have these kind of very sort of limited perspectives. Yeah. That are are you know 
frequently, you know, pointing inward, not necessarily taking in mm-hmm. uh, really what what other people are giving us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we just we we just have to try and do better. We have to say every day, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to well, try and do better than I did yesterday. For those who care, there are some folks who, who really care don't well. care at all. Um, it's it. I think what amazes me is there are still individuals who still hold on to. I would always think that the newer generation would grow out of the racism or the way things were done by the older generation. And I'm constantly surprised at how many people still retain, like the antebellum South. Yeah. And uh, like last year, I, I went to see the documentary "I Am Not Your Negro." Oh yeah, uh, the, absolutely. About, we, about James Baldwin. Uh, we're showing that to our students this fall. See that that's fantastic. Yeah. And I remember while I was waiting for the movie to open, I walked around Berkeley, and there was an alt right protest yeah. happening. Yeah. And I was like, "Wait a minute, this Berkeley? I, I imagine this in the South." And it was almost immediately after the um, the what is it in Virginia? Um, Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but th- it shocked me. It was like, wait a minute, there can't be racists here in the Bay Area, <laughs> and and yet they are. And that and yeah. that's you know that's the thing. That's the thing that we um, we try and kind of paper over. We say, oh no, you know, not here. Yeah, we don't have those problems here. Uh, you know, of course we do, and, sure. and and we have to, you know, be vigilant and demand better mm-hmm. from each other. Right. Right. And and not kind of fall into this. Um, you know, kind of false sense of superiority sure. uh, that allows us to think that our problems are taken care of. I, I was reading an article um, just last night about um, there a big program in New York to kind of desegregate these schools, and mm-hmm. um, you know these you know not necessarily you know, particularly rich families, mm-hmm. but but you know these I'll, yeah these no. families who are really upset about yeah. the idea of bringing students in. I was talking about it, so I have a podcast just. Um, so I'm recording the yay right now, and it's, uh, you know, I record from 12 to 1, but I have a Christian podcast that I record at 9, and we were talking mm. about this, where there's a principal who wants to bring in yeah. lower-income kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the parents are upset. They're like, hey, wait a minute. We pay good money to segregate our kids yeah, exactly. from those other kids, and it's horrible. I mean, and, 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 you know, on the one hand, I understand the parent's perspective of, look, I, you know, what if my kid is one of the kids that gets bumped, right, mm-hmm. to, to, to make room? And, you know, where are they going to go? They're going to go to this other school that is not as good yeah. as this one. I mean, I understand that perspective of the parent. But mm-hmm. the thing is, you know, like your, your kid's going to be fine for one thing. You know, right. when you have a supportive, you know, household, mm-hmm. you have a supportive parents who are mm-hmm. caring about your education. Yeah. In many ways, it doesn't <coughs> matter what school you go to. Right. Lots of studies have shown, like, if you've got supportive parents, your, your student is going to be fine. Right. And – is the world going to be fine? Are we going to have a mm-hmm. community that is well-educated, yeah. that is going to take care of each other? That's mm-hmm. that's the important thing at yeah. this point. Yeah, and also what lesson, what lesson do you teach that kid, that privileged kid, of, no, you're going to hang out with with your mm-hmm. collective group. How yeah. are they going to be an adult and work in, a, in an environment where they have to deal that is with more globalized and, and a more um, – I mean, it, by necessity, going sure. to have to be more inclusive, right? Um, to start out, that no, that's not a good lesson. Where are you going to go from there? Exactly. It's funny. So I work for uh, the uh, sitting county of San Francisco, and we always talk about diversity. It's one of those things where it's sort of forced, where it's like, hey, listen, we have to do this because we are under guidelines and this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it it looks wonderful on paper, but if you if you're not used to dealing with people who are different, who look different, sound different from different cultures. 
you're going to run into some issues, um, if you, especially if you haven't learned from, from – if you haven't grown up with it yeah, yeah, as yeah. a child. Yeah, I, know, I went to um, Buena Vista Spanish Immersion School. Now I think it's been incorporated with, um, I want to say, uh, uh, Horace Mann. Mm -hmm. uh, but they used to be two separate schools. But anyway, so um, – yeah, so I ended up going to a school in the mission where half the students were coming from Spanish-speaking households mm -hmm. and half from English. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just – everything seemed normal to me. And also I grew up in the Castro. Mm-hmm. It was just surrounded by uh, queer culture mm -hmm. with um, – you know, in this mixed-race family. I mean, I just – I never knew anything different. It was a real shock to me, mm. um, you know, to go to, go to visit my uh, family in the uh, – in the east, yeah. uh, in in North Carolina, yeah. I mean, and and I would say the places that um, mm -hmm. we spent our time was, you know, they were mostly you know, more integrated than not, yeah. But still, there was this kind of very clear sense of um, there was white culture and there was black culture, sure. And I just didn't, I I had not come across that, and it yeah. was you know kind of a, a little bit of a learning curve. Same going to New York and having you know integrating with students from the Midwest. Yeah. Who, 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 you know, they they hadn't really um, spent any time with Asian people, for example. Mm -hmm. And I just come from a high school that was, you know, eighty percent Asian um, mm -hmm. across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to make of that. Honestly, it's hard yeah. for me to really wrap my brain around. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you grow up completely isolated in in that context, right? That's uh, gonna it's going to uh, sort of warp your idea of what you know the the possibilities of this world. Where exactly. we have so many different viewpoints. Exactly. And it's one of those things where you have to sort of want it. I mean, I, I was in an isolated you know, s situation when I was in Washington, D.C. They call it the Chocolate City. Everyone mm -hmm. was black. Mm -hmm. But I left, left out of there, went to New York. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was a big Jewish community, but you know, it was also very multicultural. Yeah. Not as accepting as the Bay Area. The Bay Area, there's multicultural, but people really do get along for the most part. In New York, you have... Um, neighborhoods and, and, and communities mm -hmm. that have been around longer than the United States of America yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Italian communities and Jewish communities or what have you. Yeah, that was what I saw mm -hmm. uh, when I was in New York. And I don't know. I mean, I I never, I feel like I never particularly integrated with mm -hmm. New York. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time going to theater and going to um, uh, galleries and museums. I didn't really form a lot of you know, very strong bonds there. I just kind of floated through these different communities. Sure. Um, because I, yeah, I just didn't know. I didn't quite know what to do with yeah. it. How long did you stay in New York? Well, just the four years that I was I was at school there. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. and NYU is, it, and it's amazing. I went to, and I know we're claiming close to the uh, one hour oh, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I was there from eighty seven to ninety one, and I remember telling Norman it was around the time of Tawana Brawley, Yusuf Hawkins, um, the Central Park Five, uh -huh. um, all sorts of racial Bernard Getz happened around <laughs> that time. <laughs> So you had a lot of it. Of course, no one had a cell phone to, you know, record all of this stuff. So a lot of this stuff was, I mean, if it happened today, you know, it would be all over the newspapers or whatever. But a lot of it was regional, yeah. just regional stuff. Um, Tawana Brawley, for those who don't know, was a young girl who um, claimed to have been raped by uh, cops. As it turns out, she was just pregnated, and she didn't want to tell her parents. Mm -hmm. But it blew up into a big racial thing. That was the emergence of uh, Al Sharpton. Mm -hmm. And then you have Bernard Getz, who was a white guy yeah. who shot a black uh, kid in the back. The Central Park Five, black kids who were accused of raping a white woman when it turned out to be a, a Latino man. 
uh, there's a docu- wonderful documentary about that as well. I mean, it, when I was there was when 9-11 happened. Wow. And that just, yeah. So that kind of wiped everything else out of the city for yeah. quite a while after. I mean, there it was really, uh, I mean, frankly, everything was just kind of in a, a, a bit of a daze yeah. uh, for, for weeks after when you had the military presence in the city and, mm-hmm. you know, whole parts of the city that you really couldn't go into mm. in a lot of ways. And, um yeah, and so and so that that became the that became the story that became the yeah. the thing, and it did in many ways kind of unify people for a little while. That is fascinating. Um, and then and then um, moving into the Iraq War, I mean, th- and so mm-hmm. that dominated more than anything else. Wow. Yeah. That that is amazing, and it's funny. Well, like I said, you know, sometimes we, we, love is not enough. We have to be motivated by hate or by sadness or whatever mm. to sort of unite each other. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I haven't been to New York uh, since uh, I think '95, so I have, to, mm. I have to go back after post nine one one. It was it was quite something to, to I mean literally to watch them you yeah. know, fall and then and then see kind of the city slowly rebuild itself and then you yeah. know it, it gets back to a place of kind of reasonable health sure and then things fall apart again <laughs> <laughs> well right i remember the the whole synagogue thing where oh, yeah. i guess they wanted to build a synagogue i'm sorry a muslim mosque uh near the 9-11 site yeah, and there was yeah. protest against that which i thought was silly <laughs> but it happens well isaiah um is there anything else that you want to um uh promote uh before i uh let you enjoy your Saturday? <laughs> no, I mean, I, w- I, w- I really just want to uh, make sure anyone with a, uh, a teenager here in the Bay Area or, you know, a college student here mm-hmm. in the Bay Area knows about the art and film program. Um, the website is artandfilm.org, mm-hmm. and uh, you can go there and see our, our schedule. Most of our scheduled stuff happens um, September through May, mm-hmm. and then uh, we do have some, some uh, free tickets programs if you sign up on our mailing list there on the website. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, and our actual our student film festival this year's crop of new student films will be playing at the San Francisco Art Institute on Chestnut Street mm-hmm. on um, June fifteenth at seven p.m. Um, and that's I believe a, a twenty dollar suggested donation. Okay. And uh, these are I mean I I will tell you these are really strong student films. These are films that will go off to uh, win festivals mm-hmm. uh, around the country. And, um, yeah, the feature filmmakers of America. Fantastic. The film festival at the San Francisco Art Institute at June 15th. Yep. Check that out. And also we'll have a, um, a link for artandfilm.org. Well, Isaiah, I hope you had a good time. Oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And before I go, I have one quick shout-out. Uh, this comes from my good friend Radhika Rao, who was also on the show a while back. There's a wonderful show called All the Shah's Men. Uh, by the Arabian Shakespeare Company that's going to be playing at Royce Gallery in San Francisco. It's a world premiere play by Matthew Spangler based on Stephen Kinzer's award-winning book. It's directed by Vicki Roselle. The play tells a story about the U.S.-led overthrow of the Prime Minister of Iran in the 1950s. The events led directly to the events of the hit movie, Argo. Uh, You can check that out. Uh, That'll be playing May the 3rd and May the 20th. So Sunday, May the 3rd, and uh, the last show is May the 20th, 2018, and we'll have links to uh, within our uh, show notes. Uh, but you can also check out wjbrown3 at arabianshakespeare.org. Uh, you can follow the uh, website, www.arabianshakes.org. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Norman G. Uh, had did Hamlet. 
I believe the Arabian Shakespeare Company had uh, produced that. So they do some fantastic work. So, uh, Isaiah, thank you so much once again for being on the show. Here's my last blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the Yay on iTunes. Just click on iTunes, click on Store, use the search engine on the upper left-hand side, and search for the Yay, I'm sorry, the right-hand side, and you can find the Yay. For Android users, download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and search for the Yay. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook, and we will take it from there. And uh, as Norman and I like to say, we've got to find a better sign-off. And uh, we'll have Norman next week, and that is it. We are out.